We're going to go to two places in the Bible. Romans chapter 5, we'll read there first, and uh, then Genesis chapter 3, we'll go there uh, as we get into the message. And so if you'll find those two places, Romans chapter 5, excuse me, we'll read there initially, kind of as an introduction, and then really... On to Genesis chapter 3, where we'll continue the introduction into this series that we're starting tonight uh, as we talk about uh, the atonement, the the scarlet thread. Romans chapter 5 and verse number 1. The Bible says, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope, and hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. I, I titled a message for tonight, A Covering for Sin's Shame. I'm glad I'm very glad for the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. A covering for sin's shame. Let's pray and we'll get on into this. Father, we are glad to be here tonight. And just one final time we ask for your blessing upon the message. We're gathered in this place tonight because we want to hear from you. We need something that will help us, Lord, to be stronger, be steadfast, uh, to be committed, uh, Lord, to live our days for you. And what wonderful truth we have here, even tonight. And I pray, Father, that you'd use your word as only you can. And if there are those in here that do not know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, that you'd speak very clearly to them about that subject, or that they might come to know Christ before it's eternally too late. Help us tonight, we pray, please, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you so much for standing. And please do be seated. In verse number 11 there we read, And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we now have received the atonement. That word atonement means a setting at one. A setting at one. Before we trusted Christ as our Savior, we who were guilty of sin... We know that because of verse 12, wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. So we who were guilty of sin were under a death sentence. We we were sentenced to, to die the second death, because sin reigned over us. 
Um, we were not at one with God because every one of our sins were an offense against God. Um, then comes Jesus Christ. Somebody say amen there. Then comes Jesus Christ and he died for us. Verse number eight, Christ died for us. His one sacrifice for sin made it possible for us to be at one with God. Because we've been justified by his blood, verse number nine, and shall be saved from God's wrath. So we are no longer, if we're saved by God's, by God, by God's grace, we are no longer enemies of God, but we've been reconciled to God. What a wonderful truth. So we have been set at one with God. Um, atonement is uh, at one meant you want to read it that way at one meant and the cost of this at one meant was the blood of Jesus Christ and the blood of Jesus Christ is the central theme of the Bible now I'm talking about a scarlet thread that runs from Genesis all the way through the book of the Revelation <clears throat> have you ever noticed uh Maybe somewhere that uh, a piece of thread was hanging off uh, one of your garments, maybe a necktie, whatever the case may be, an article of clothing, and you thought, man, I, I need to get rid of that, and you tugged on it. And when you tugged on that thread, uh, instead of it just pulling off and going on, it just started unraveling. And the more you pulled on it, the more that, uh, well, it unraveled. And it unravels because it runs uh, through that thread. That thread runs through the garment. And that's what atonement is like. We grab hold of it in Genesis and then we pull on it. And we find out that this thread is woven through every book of the Bible. And we can follow it all the way to Calvary. Where the blood of Christ was shed for our sins. And really we should find ourselves rejoicing in God for providing the atonement. Thank God for that. Without atonement, there'd be no forgiveness of sin. There'd be no righteousness in Jesus. And I promise you, there'd be no victory in life. So the atonement truly is that important. Atonement. And uh, I'm hoping with this series to trace this scarlet thread of atonement through the Bible, picking it up in different uh, stories and different texts. And my desire truly is that we would better understand what God has done for us through the blood of Jesus Christ and how it provides the opportunity, the opportunity to experience victory in our lives in Jesus. No, no, the blood of Jesus Christ provides the opportunity to experience victory in Jesus Christ. So, turn with me over to Genesis chapter 3. You can lose your place there. Genesis 3. In Genesis chapter 1 and 2, it describes how God created the human race. We know that He formed Adam out of the dust of the ground, and then He fashioned a wife for him uh, from a rib that was taken from His side. And from the very moment of their creation, Adam and Eve's creation, they walked in fellowship with God. They had a close relationship with God. God talked with them and walked with them in the garden. And so they were at one with God. 
excuse me, there, there were no disagreements. There were no offenses. There was no guilt. There was no shame. Adam and Eve at that point lived in perfect fellowship with God and with one another. Can you imagine a life like that? And I'm, I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, it is the way of life that we were created to enjoy forever. No, no. That, that, that's, that's exactly the way that God wanted us to live on this earth forever when he created man. Close fellowship with him, just a life of, uh, in the garden. That's the way that God intended for it to be. And then came the serpent. The embodiment of uh, Satan. And as we read it, in what seems to, well, just way too quickly, we read the uh, temptation of Adam and Eve. We read about their fall. We read about uh, the defeat it brought into their lives. And the separation that it caused between them and God. And against this backdrop of sin and separation, God gives us our first taste of our need for Christ's atonement. And really the first glimpse of the scarlet thread that we're going to try to trace through the Bible. Um, but it starts with the success of Satan. Sad to say. Chapter 3, verse number 1. Look at this. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, well, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, <laughs> Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. So the serpent is introduced to us as a deceiver. He says that he's more subtle than any beast of the field. And though Satan is the king of darkness, he passes himself off as an angel of light. We can see that in 2 Corinthians chapter number 11. And I'm here to tell you tonight that in our daily spiritual battles, the greatest, the greatest threat that we face are the wiles of the devil. We better understand the wiles of the devil. He loves to divide and conquer. He'll do anything he can to divide and conquer. So he tempts Eve to question what God has said. Um, <laughs> and the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die. So can you just imagine how Satan uh, voices a surprise 
Or maybe he even just acts offended that God has said that Adam and Eve cannot eat of every tree. What? What? I can't. No, ye shall not surely die. Come on, there's one tree, one tree that God has forbid them to eat from. And the devil, please get this, young and old alike, please get this. The devil wants Eve to know that he's just shocked by this. I mean, why would God, please listen, why would God withhold something so good from them? Why would God do something like that? And this question from the devil tempts Eve, tempts Eve to question the wisdom and the goodness of God. And he tells her that disobeying God is not going to bring judgment. No, that's what he tells her. Y'all still with me here? No, I'm telling you, he, he tells her, oh, good grief, it's not going to bring judgment. It's going to bring enlightenment. I mean, your eyes are going to be open. You'll be like God's. You just go ahead and eat that fruit. I mean, God's just trying to hold something good from you. Yeah. You, you do understand that the devil wants people to believe that sin and rebellion against God and against his word has no divine or eternal consequences. Oh, no, no. He wants us to believe that we're free to live any way we please. The devil wants people to believe that they can decide for themselves what is good and what is evil. That no one else has the right to decide for them, not even God. That's exactly what he wants. Well, I can't believe they ate that fruit. What a sin. Oh, no, no. Their, Their sin was disobeying God. God had already told them what they could do and what they could not do. And then the devil came on the scene. He's still the tempter. He's still doing everything he can to get people to live opposite of what God would have them to do. He's still alive and well and at work. Absolutely so. And not just with young people. With all of us. With all of us. And he succeeded, uh, succeeded in tempting Eve to think that even after all, listen to this, even after all the good that God had done for them, that God reserved the best for himself. No, no, he, no, no, he passed this off and made, even, made, even, made Eve believe that although God had given them the whole garden, Given them life. Made the perfect place for them to live. That God was just holding the best for himself. He made God look self-serving in her eyes. Well, God's just trying to keep something good from you. Well, I tell you, my parents all the time, they say, I shouldn't do this and shouldn't do that and shouldn't do that. I don't know why I shouldn't do that. Well, probably because it's going to be hurtful. No, no, not because they're trying to keep something good from you. Well, I read the Bible and the Bible says we shouldn't do this and we shouldn't do that. I just, I just don't see any problem with that. Well, that's the problem. 
that you don't see a problem with it. Because if God said it, we know it's true. And he's not, no, 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 no. God is not self-serving. He's not just trying to keep something from us. He's trying to help us to live that life that he planned for us to live from the beginning. That's what he's doing. Because we know, and I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, and I want to keep on moving, but we know that sin causes shame, doesn't it? (laughs) Uh, Well, I'm preaching to a room full of saints. Sin causes shame, doesn't it? It does in our own life. And we may hide it for a while, but sin causes shame. It causes shame. Truly. Um, So Eve, instead of trusting in the goodness of the one that created her, she chose her independence. She chose the freedom to uh, to make up her own mind concerning what is good and what is bad. So Satan had succeeded in setting up God as a rival for her affections, if not even an outright enemy of what was best for her. So being convinced that God was withholding something good from them, I mean like God would withhold something good from us, first Eve and then Adam ate of the fruit, disobeying God. And even though they did not immediately realize it, Satan had won. And they were defeated. So let's think about the primary consequences of fallen man. Because it's right here. We can see it. Um, Look at verse number 7. It says, And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou was naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, the woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of that tree and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the woman, what is, it that, what is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, the serpent beguiled me and I did eat. So the primary consequences of fallen man is this. They felt shame. What do you mean, preacher? Well, you know, like they had something to hide. Okay. They sinned against God. And when they did, they felt like they needed to hide from God. They felt shame. Instead of that freedom... That the devil had promised them, well, if you'll just eat this, everything's going to be good. You're going to be like God's. I mean, you're going to be so enlightened. This is going to be great. But instead of that freedom, Adam and Eve felt like failures. Stay with me here. They felt like failures. Shame. 
And there was, their response was to try to cover the guilt they felt with fig leaves. One Bible commentator said this, You cannot hide moral shame with fig leaves. You cannot undo the loss, the loss of innocence. And somebody might say, well, I mean, was it right for Adam and Eve to feel ashamed? Well, they were no longer at one with God. That personal closeness that they had enjoyed with God was gone for the remainder of their time on earth. A, A relationship that was once marked by openness, by openness, is now marred by questions. By questions. Verse 9, the Lord called unto Adam and said unto thou, Where art thou? Verse 11, And who told thee that thou was naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? The questions that God asked them forced them to either admit or deny or to try to justify what they had done. They were either going to admit it or they were going to deny it or they were going to try to justify it. And these were questions that were only, it just only increased their sense of shame. And it deepened the feeling of being cut off from God. They were no longer at one with God. But they were no longer at one with each other either. Adam justified himself by blaming Eve. And Eve justified herself by blaming the serpent. And then they both tried to pin their sin on someone else. Well, come on, can't you hear it? Can't you hear Adam? Well, don't blame me. It's her fault. Come on, he's looking at Eve like she's coming with some kind of a horrible monster. Can't believe it's her fault. And can you imagine Eve looking at looking at her looking at looking at her husband with a how dare you say something like that face? You know, and saying something like, Well, it's not my fault. It's that slimy creature's fault. That's whose fault it is. So just in a matter of minutes, a creation that God had called very good turned very, very ugly. Because of their disobedience to God. Because of their disobedience. And Adam and Eve's sin turned into shame. Listen, shame and blame and broken relationships. And they're now living in a sin-cursed world. Look at verse 14. Come on, we're moving along great tonight. Verse 14. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above the cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, 
And thus shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. Excuse me, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children. And thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and has eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow thou shalt eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust thou shalt return. So because of Adam and Eve's sin, God pronounces three curses upon his creation. Uh, Number one, mankind and Satan would be perpetually at war. Perpetually. Okay, verse 15 again. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, talking to Satan, and between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. So because of that, the old devil, he just slithers along the pathway of humanity, striking at our feet every chance he gets. I mean, causing us to go through this world, causing us to go through this world as uh, victims of his venomous bite, and then ultimately die because of the poison of his sin. Number two, Satan's deadly reign would continue on until one was born who would experience the bite of Satan in his heel, but with his foot deliver a deadly blow to Satan's head. So we're talking about the victory that makes possible all of our victories in Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ and the victory he had, for sure. Then he told Eve, marriage and motherhood would be marred by the sorrows and selfishness of sin. Having and raising children would be a mixture of joy and sorrow. Husbands and wives would no longer naturally live together with oneness of heart and mind. Each would uh, sinfully want to impose his or her will on the other. Pretty much describes society today, doesn't it? And then number three, because Adam listened to his wife rather than his creator. The world he lived in would no longer willingly yield its fruit. Men, can I tell you, it's very good that we have a good relationship with God and listen to Him for all the decisions we need to make. So the seeds of rebellion sown in the garden would bear the fruit of corruption for generations to come. And that's the world we live in. 
I said, that's the world we live in. When we live, when we live apart from Jesus Christ, that's the world we live in. <clears throat> but God provided a covering. Verse number 21. Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats, make coats of skins and clothe them. So if Adam and Eve were going to be clothed with coats made of skins, then an animal had to be sacrificed. And uh, that is why their fig leaves were so insufficient. Because the fig leaves only addressed one part of their problem. Just one part. Um... The coats made of skins provided both coverings. It covered their nakedness with the hide of the animals. And the other through the shed blood of the animals. And this is the first shedding of blood for a sacrifice. And this is the start of a virtual river of blood that flows all the way to the foot of the cross. What God did in the Garden of Eden was a foreshadowing of what he would do at Golgotha, or what he would do at Calvary. It was a foreshadowing. When the very Lamb of God would shed his blood to atone for our sins. So atonement reminds us that our first and greatest need is to be set at one with God again. That's our first and greatest need. Absolutely. And that starts with salvation. That starts with with coming to know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Isn't it really something, the lessons we can learn? Because Adam and Eve tried to provide a human solution to the shame they felt. But it would never work. No, they tried to provide a human solution. Well, we'll just get us some fig leaves. We'll cover this nakedness up. But their works didn't, uh, it didn't work. It didn't work. Because the questions that God asked them exposed the uselessness of their own efforts. Their own efforts were useless. And God's questions exposed that. Atonement means that we have a heavenly solution to the shame we feel. With the result that we have joy in God because, of, because our sin and its shame have been covered with the blood of Jesus. Uh, okay, preacher, but, uh, but I mean, okay, what if we sin after we've trusted Christ as our Savior? 
Well, I'm glad you asked. Because 1 John chapter 2 and verse number 1 says, My little children, these things write unto you, uh, write unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. The one that paid the price. The one that shed his blood. <laughs> so after we're saved by the grace of God, when we sin again, we can run to Jesus, not from Jesus. I'll say it again. We can run to Jesus, not from Jesus. Not going to do any good to hide in the garden. Not going to do any good to sow on some fig leaves. There's only one hope. And it was the same hope that you had when you got saved. And that's the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses from all sin. But we have to go to Him. And get that cleansing from shame once again. From shame. I am a sinner saved by grace. But I do not have to live every day whipping myself because of that. I do not have to live in shame because of my past. My past has been taken care of by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. No, no, it's under the blood. Never to be brought up again. And the only one that will ever bring it up again is the one that initially caused the problem, the old devil himself. And I love it because we can be more than conquerors through the Lord Jesus Christ who loves us. Because the shame that so often cripples us has been covered by the atoning blood of Jesus Christ. The shame. We do not have to live as victims of the fall of man. We don't have to do that. Because we can live as victors of the cross. We do not have to hide from God. We have access to our Heavenly Father because of what Jesus did for us. We don't run from God when we fail. We run to God. We must not allow our shameful past the sins that we had to keep us from living with confidence as a child of God today. I hate the devil more and more. Why not come to God tonight with whatever needs you may have? I'm telling you, he's just waiting for you to pour out your heart to him. Because he has provided a covering for sin's shame. Or, and I'm, I'm done. I know you don't believe that, but I'm done. Or, you can continue to make excuses for your sin. Justify your sin. 
Blame somebody else for your sin? Continue to bask in sin, thinking that there's not going to be any consequences for it? Oh, you can continue to do that. But there's no sense in that. Not when the Lord's made a way that we don't have to... We don't, have to, we don't have to live as captives to sin because of the atonement of Jesus Christ. I'm nothing without Him. But I'm thankful, that the, I'm thankful for the new life that He has given me simply because I trusted Him and what He did on the cross all those years ago. You know, the blood of Jesus Christ is just, it's still as fresh as it was the day He shed it. No, no, the very blood of God. And one drop of that precious blood can cleanse you from all sin. Don't live in defeat. Don't deny the victory that God wants you to have. Let God have His way in your heart and your life. He's just waiting to give you that victory. Now, Heavenly Father, we thank You for this scarlet thread. And I pray as we get on into this and we see it on through Your Word, that it will just become that much more real for us as we try to live our life for You. We know... We know that the blood was shed all those years ago on the cross of Calvary, and we're thankful that it continues to cleanse from all sin. But we definitely need your help. And Lord, I don't know who's struggling with what, when, where, or how, but I know the answer. And the answer is the blood of Jesus Christ. And so even as we open up the altar tonight, we just pray your will would be done. Maybe folks need to come just talk to you about things that are going on in their life. Maybe some are living in shame, and they need the victory that you can give. Maybe some have been justifying what they're doing, making excuses, or even blaming others. I pray, dear God, that your will would be done these next few minutes as we open the altar and we ask these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's stand to our feet. Some have already made their way to the altar. You need to come. Piano's going to play. Not going to take long. Not going to try to beg anybody down. But you need to come tonight. You let God have His way.